us all a favor and take it away. Welcome to League One Fun. We're presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and a new sponsor you'll find about out about later. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. That voice you heard was Jason. Jason, so much soccer this weekend. USL League One Decision Day, MLS Decision Day, my daughter's soccer game, plus the boys team I coach as well. Just soccer all weekend. What was what was the best? Was it was it your daughter or? Uh, well, it definitely was not the Red Bulls losing three 0 It mm-hmm. was. Uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, so my uh, probably my daughter's game. I mean, a two 0 win in a pretty hard fought game. That was nice. Uh, they're yeah. really getting down this passing and moving concept. So I like that quite a lot. So we have the table set. It's yeah, we over. got playoffs. It's, it's, it's playoff time. Yeah. So maybe the most exciting time of the year. But before that, Jason, should we do some news? Let's do it. So Braden Troyer retires from soccer after five years with the Richmond Kickers. It was almost like a franchise player, right? Like he, yeah. I think he had been there longer than almost any other player. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think so. And I think that's why uh, it was a special day for, for him, for that team, for that organization, for the fans. You can tell uh, it meant a lot to everybody uh, when someone's been there for that long. Yeah, when, when we review the game, one of the things that you'll note is that for the last 10 minutes or so, he was basically playing as a second Listen, striker I'm about trying it. to get a goal. Yeah, I'm about it. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, a couple of other things that you know won't be a surprise is we, we know who the regular season winners of some individual awards were. Ronaldo Damas wins the golden boot. But, you know, Jason, you thought maybe Jordan Peruza might have pulled it out there at the end without yeah, Damas playing. I thought he had a chance, especially when that Friday lineup came up. Damas wasn't playing. I was like, this is this is set up for for at least a, a tie, maybe. Right. And it goes down to the, whatever weird tiebreaker they have. Uh, but yeah, and he almost did have it. I think Peruza had one. Yeah, he, he, had, he had one. But I'm saying even I think in that game, too, he had another great shot. But uh, of course, when you're facing the uh, best keeper in the league, it's tough to put multiple goals against them. So close. It was it was fun to, to watch the very end to see him try to creep up. But so uh, Arturo Rodriguez got the assist lead with 10 assists on the season. I, you know, for some reason, he's been so involved in so many plays that I'm sure if you added MLS assists in there, you know, the secondary assist, he'd probably be at like 24 or something like yeah. that. Easy, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Because he's so involved in every play. But he did get 10 assists, so he wins that award. Rafa Mensigan and Zagoro tied for second with seven. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a gap there. Arturo Rodriguez also had 72 chances created. That's 19 more than the next uh, th- than the next highest person, which was Charlie Dennis from South Georgia Tormenta. I mean, just crazy how uh, you know. Basically, he's an attacking machine. That man. And you, we'll talk about it. We're going to do a podcast later this week where we review the end of the year, talk about some players that stood out, some teams. But we'll also talk about it's not just the offense with him; it's defense too, right? His dual stats are incredible, and it's just. I don't know. I'm looking at this league. Like, why are you letting why are you letting this man do this to y'all? It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, winning the ball high. That's that's something that North Texas, uh, you know, tries to do. Obviously, is is have that kind of mid block and and win the ball in in good positions and get the ball forward quickly. So Otoro Rodriguez is one of the keys to that uh, to, to that offense. Yeah. And of course, we know that Alex Mangles had the most saves. He had 85 saves, but that doesn't get him the Golden Glove because that was won by Dallas J, basically two months ago because yeah. Greenville was not letting in any goals. So they was the only only keeper 
with less than one goal allowed per game uh, on the season. And actually went from 0.67 goals per game up to 0.78 at the end of the season because Greenville let in a few goals right on the last day of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, you know, still, you know, great keeper, great line in front of him, right? You talked about Kevin Pollitt's last uh, last week and, and how that back line has been really solid all season, helping him to 13 clean sheets. Yeah, I don't know what kind of a uh, bonus or incentive Dallas Jay gets for winning the award, but he definitely needs to take his boys out uh, for some drinks or dinner because it wouldn't have happened without them, right? Just such an organized defense. And that's not taking anything away from him, even in this game against Tormento last week, which we'll talk about. He had an incredible save, which I think maybe only one other keeper in this league makes. But, you know, it's it's an all-around team award, in my opinion, especially on the defensive side. Well, let's talk about the sin bin because Marco Micheletto from South Georgia Tormenta had nine yellow cards on the season, the most of anyone else. There were a number of players with eight. Tariq Muhammad, Leo Simas, and Tony Walls all had eight. Franco Mingo and Randy Mendoza, there's a name you don't hear much, and Connor Shanotsky all had two red cards during the season. So those are the sin bin leaders there. Yeah. You know, so I would expect Muhammad to have it. I feel like there wasn't a game that went by to where they weren't saying Tariq picked up a yellow. So it was surprising <laughs> to see that he wasn't the leader. Well, he didn't play every game, and, uh, and he did yeah, get a couple suspended. of suspensions. So. Yeah, we suspended a bunch of times. I guess you don't get to play every game. <laughs> well, got suspended twice, right? Yeah. So got sus- you so just to remind everyone you get suspended for a game after five yellows and then you get suspended after an eighth yellow so and they have um, to so pay those top fines four. for that right and they have to play fi- pay fines i'm not sure how big the fines are but but you know given how um the pittance that a lot of these players get paid i'm sure it's reasonably uh it's reasonably hard on them right because so. i i know it was i don't know if it was the lansing game i think it was the lansing game and nick moon picked up his fifth that obviously uh, they get wiped away for the playoffs so yellow cards don't carry over but he got that suspension yellow card, and I think he got it by stopping a counterattack. That was important. So I feel like the team needs to go ahead and pay that fine for yeah. him. He, he, Every, everyone passes the hat, the yep. pony up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so shall we get into the results of Week 28, doing a couple very quickly and, and getting a deep dive into two of them? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so week twenty-eight, uh, you know, three matches basically didn't matter in the end. Uh, the first hey, one, hey, 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 they mattered. Okay, well, <laughs> I should say they didn't matter for the standings. There you okay, go. they didn't matter for the standings, yeah, but clearly matters. some of the teams were trying to win. For example, uh, on Friday night at ten thirty p.m. Eastern time, FC Tucson scored one goal, but North Texas got three with no Pepe and no Ronaldo Damas. So they can do it without them. It's scary. And I will talk about it. My whole thing, I was like, oh, well, I wonder if, you know, them changing up the rotation is going to affect their chemistry. And I wonder what they're going to roll out within the playoffs. And I'm at the point I'm like, I don't even think it matters. I think it's just such a great system that they plug everyone that's in it into it. And it's going to just go flawlessly. I don't I don't even care. I don't even bother anymore. Yeah, I could see that. So the scoring was started in the 12th minute uh, from an own goal from Jordan Jones. It was kind of unlucky on his part. So uh, Arturo Rodriguez takes a free kick from the left touch line. Jordan tries to play it. Actually, it looked to me like he swung and kind of missed. It hits off his planted foot and then just kind of rolls through everyone and winds up in the goal. Um, it was, you know, unlucky for Jones. He's on the sheet. But it could have been stopped and it could have been touched by probably three other players on the right. line as well. Question. Arturo Rodriguez, Josiel Nunez, or Tumi Moshabane, who are you taking as your free kicker? Ooh. 
<sighs> so got- my, my, Mikey Rowe is not one of the choices there. Uh, <laughs> I think Otoro, just because right. Otoro gets it on target yep. and he whips in these really hard, low-driven balls a lot of times that just create chaos in the and, box, which is basically I, how this goal happened. And it's the passing too, right? Like you talk about that, that Tormenta game they just had where he had that free kick from a ridiculous angle. I think that's one of those things to where he can score that because you have to respect his passing ability from those free kicks and putting the ball in places to where it's the goalkeeper's not going to be able to put a hand on it. Defenders are going to have to, you know, be on their toes for. So I think because of that, he's able to make those shots. But I do think Nunez is a, is a close second. Yeah. So if, well, we'll talk about this later. Um, I have a hypothetical for you. But, okay. Uh, but so North Texas goes up uh, 1-0 very early on. And in the 38th minute, Oscar Romero gets the second. Uh, this one, Jonathan Gonzalez had a ton of space on the left wing. I don't know what tucson was doing but he swings in the ball uh into the box that was very poorly cleared by kyle ventner uh and there was no other tucson player defending in fact there were two guys just standing at the top of the box not coming back not trying to cover for kyle kyle is basically two two versus one there um wakasa was ball watching uh uh was ball ball watching i don't know what they were doing it's like i said last week man i don't i don't like this rotating back line that tucson was doing at the very end you especially those playoff games on the line and they're rotating their back lines i know you want to get wakasa in there i know you want to get you know talented players that might be moving down from usl championship but taking off taking out Houseworth last game and then putting him back in this game and same with Tehran. It's just, you can tell they were all over the place. And this was a defense at one point, you know, was doing pretty well. I think at one point had five games in a row where they only allowed one goal or less. So it wasn't that their defense has always been discombobulated, but I think because of that rotation, it kind of messed them up in the end. And this one, de- and this goal definitely shows that. So again, you go to the 38th minute, take a take a look. Uh, so after Kyle does the does the missed clearance, uh, Romero finds the ball and then cleans it up for the, his first goal of the season. Which, given how many times we've mentioned him, I was I was pretty surprised actually that was his first goal. He has a few assists, but yeah. Uh, in the 42nd minute, though, Tucson decided to make it interesting because Jordan Jones actually uh, gets a ball. It's a it's a uh, Tyrone takes a corner kick. It's a very long corner to the far post. And Kyle Ventner heads it back across goal, and uh, and Jordan Jones is there to head it in. Right, Avales almost had it, but just a little bit out of his reach. Third, fourth week in a row, I'm saying that's that's North Texas's Achilles heel. They they're not you know the best at tracking on those set pieces or those you know crosses. And I think uh, as we talk about you know previewing for this weekend, that is the big thing they should watch for because Ford definitely. Uh, has some crosses and swings in there that they can get it to. Oh, for sure. J.C. Banks is not bad at set pieces by any stretch of the imagination. No, sir. In the 65th minute, it was the final goal of the game. Uh, Oscar Romero gets his second. This one from who else but Arturo (laughs) Rodriguez, right? He gets the last assist of the season. What a pass, too. It was a great pass, yeah. So Otoro Rodriguez got got a pass uh, back from the end line. So so someone drove to the end line. I couldn't tell who it was. Cuts it back, gets it to uh, Otoro. Otoro uh, drives himself to the end line, beating two players, and then just cuts it back for Romero, who just taps it home. Yeah. Uh, so there were 603 passes by North Texas in this game. Uh, that was quite a lot. Uh, Tucson, yeah. did, Tucson did cross a lot, right? They had completed 12 of 24 crosses. 
but that's that's cute. Yeah, I mean, I think North Texas had almost three times as many passes as Tucson, right? This is this is yeah. the one time, ladies and gentlemen, possession might not be that trash of a stat, right? I mean, possession is trash most of the time, but it's what you do with that possession. And when North Texas, when you're allowing them to have a ton of possession. Uh, you're not allowing yourself to win that game because they're not going to get dispossessed. They're not going to make bad mistakes. Well, and I think that's true, especially when you go up that early. I mean, uh, they were, you know, clearly just trying to keep the ball. It's like, look, we go up by a goal, we go up by a second goal in the second half. You know, why give the other team the ball at all if you don't yeah. have to? And Tucson typically doesn't press, so you know, you're what. Anyway, it's yeah. yeah, it's a moot point at this at this point. You know, good season for FC Tucson. We saw some flashes of brilliance from them, and uh, we look forward to seeing them back next season. North Texas, we'll see you on Saturday. Okay. So the first Saturday match was Chattanooga versus TFC Two. Actually, this was not the first match. This was actually the second match. This was a, a later match because it was another match earlier that mattered. But this one, as it turns out, didn't matter. Chattanooga Red Wolves scored one. TFC Two scored also one. Uh, in the eighth minute, uh, Cito Sioni got a pass from, uh, from from Hurst and puts it away. Uh, Hurst settled the ball just uh, just outside the box, uh, just outside the D, actually, and he had no pressure on him. Like, TFC2 was not pressing him at all. No. Puts a ball into space for Sione. Sione makes a, a run about five yards past uh, Hurst and uh, pauses, sets up. A defender runs past him. <laughs> and then... He just hits it with his left foot, far post, side netting. Uh, you know, and that's that's all she wrote in the first. You got to you got to you got to start waving at people as they fly by you at that point, right? It's like when you cross someone up in basketball, you just got to wave <laughs> at them as they fall back by you. Basically, what happened? It was a nice finish by Sione for sure, um, but it was uh, it was really really bad defending from TFC too. Yeah. Um, 26 minute, uh, actually Hurst hit the post. Um, and, uh, and then a minute later he puts one just wide. Listen, uh, man, I, so. if, if Chattanooga had got Hurst halfway through the season, I think Chattanooga's in the playoffs. I think he's that impactful player. I think he was the last piece that was missing, right? Zaid wasn't playing. He, they didn't have that finisher up top. It seemed like BD had to be the one to do it all. You put BD, allow him to be a creator and have Hurst up top. I think Chattanooga would have easily been a three seed. I, I can't disagree. I, I think certainly playoffs, they would have made made the final weekend really, really exciting because I think that they would have been closer to forward than ultimately they were. They would have been more they would have been maybe a point behind or a point ahead. You know, it would have been would have been a really interesting day. Twenty ninth minute, uh Mangles made a really good save uh for Tucson uh not to uh excuse me, for TFC two uh not to tie it up. In 86th minute, though, Jordan Peruza, of course, did Jordan Peruza things and got within one of the golden boot lead. Uh, so TFC won the ball on the left side near the midfield. The ball finds its way forward to Akinola, who, uh, you know, as TFC was quickly transitioning to the attack, Peruza's making this great run in behind. And, you know, Peruza did a good job. Akinola did a phenomenal job. It was such a great through ball uh, that Peruza finished his first time with his left foot under Mangles that, you know, Akinola really deserves the credit for this goal. And, and, and another player shutting me up because I having Twitter conversations with some people on uh, during their game that was on Wednesday. I, di- I don't get the Akinola hype he's been playing this year and just hasn't impressed me. I was wondering why he would get so many chances over some of the other players and then raid right on cue. 
he sent in that through ball, which, you know, I, you know what? I'm actually going to give credit to Jordan Perusa. I think he makes such amazing off the ball runs that every through ball to him is just perfect because he times it so well, right? Like well, he, well, well, he's true. so good at the runs. He times the pass, not in, in, and the run at the same time. He's just, I'm doing that. I'm not, I'm doubling down on not giving Akinola credit. And I'm going to give it to Perusa <laughs> instead. So I, I think that in fairness, like all of this comes from chemistry. And the fact yeah. is, is that they need to play together, right? And even though Akinola certainly has, he's certainly made some defensive mistakes and made, it certainly made some very errant passes as well. Well, you know, the more chemistry they have and the more these guys play together, the better they're going to get. And if the goal is, for which it is explicitly for a two-team like TFC2, is to generate players for your first team in their style, then you just need to give them more reps. And that's the that's the point of them being in the league. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, stats pretty even. Uh, TFC2 did outshoot Chattanooga 18-11. Uh, to 11. They had seven shots on goal compared to Chattanooga's two uh, but you know Chattanooga usually doesn't take a lot of shots and have a yeah. lot of shots on target. So they and just... I think I think it would have been different had Chattanooga went into the game not know you know all, you know if they didn't know what their fate was and know that they were already out of the playoffs right they probably would have been more aggressive they would have pressed harder um, and we would have seen more shots from Chattanooga. But I think yeah, because I... they knew it, you know it was it was a wrap for them they just went out there and wanted to play more pretty soccer in a competitive game as and do their style they're used to as opposed to pushing. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that they would have had to really go for it if they could, right? Yeah. But they, they didn't need to, as it turned out. Uh, in another game, we had uh, another OCB loss. So this was I many losses. I, I didn't actually yeah, look at what I, the standards I, were. But. It never never double down on OCB, Jason. Lesson learned. <laughs> you don't double down on OCB. <laughs> So Richmond kickers in their final home game of the season, which was the final game also for Braden Troyer, was a send-off, as we mentioned. Richmond kickers scored two against OCB zero. Troyer almost scored in the 55th second of the match off of a corner kick. Again, they didn't pick him up. He scored earlier in the season, if you recall. His first goal for the Richmond kickers in five years of playing for them, and it was a header off of a a, uh, corner. This one, almost exactly the same thing, except the ball hit off the top of the crossbar instead of going in the in the goal you said they didn't pick him up as if orlando does that in any situation for any game that's not it's not not a surprise ira not that is a that is a very (laughs) fair point um so you know if you watch the highlights i think i think I don't know if this was just Richmond giving Troyer the ball at any moment that they could. Oh, absolutely. Because every single every single play in the highlights, I think Troyer's in the shot, yep. uh, which was just amazing. So he actually got the MLS assist on one of the goals for the so uh, because in the 31st minute uh, he actually fired the ball into him. Uh, Mwape's feet, and then uh, you know from there was a there was a oh excuse me no it was a second goal that he did but let's talk about the first goal quickly. Uh, this was a the free kick from by Mwape from 25 yards out on the left side uh, left side of the the pitch not too far uh, from the penalty area. The ball uh, is hit far post uh, to an onrunning Chernovsky. Very nice for her set piece. It looked like I think mm-hmm. Dave Bulo or or the guys came up with that one because it was uh, it was there were some picks being set and Chernovsky was just wide open and heads the ball home. Yeah, and uh, you know he he almost I wanted him. You know you have more red cards than goal than uh, goals. I don't. It's not not that great, but. It's good to see a defender get up there and put it away. 
for sure. Uh, in the 36th minute, this is the one where uh, Braden Troyer get, uh, got his uh, uh, got his MLS assist. And Mwape makes a great run to the left side of the box. Uh, and uh, he's hit there by the uh, by Braden Troyer. And he then hits a low hard cross to the far post where Boateng slides and finishes. It was, uh, it was definitely a speed play. Uh, and then toward the end of the game, like I mentioned, Troyer was basically playing like as an attacking mid or a second striker. Um, they were really pushing for him to get a goal, and yeah. he didn't get a ton of touches at the very end of the game. Uh, subbed out to a very loud round of applause in the 93rd minute. Great to see. Um, yeah, and you know what? When we talk about those two goals, we talk about uh, Mwape and Boateng. They started playing towards the end of the year the way I thought they were going to be playing all year, uh, especially Boateng making those runs. But I was really impressed with Mwape probably for the past three or four weeks. And, you know, I'm hoping that when you look, you know, Richmond fans, as they're looking at the season, they can go back and look at that. But that's a good little piece to kind of have to go into the next season with hope because you feel that that chemistry is finally forming. There's a lot of switching up top, right? You didn't know if Dennis Chin was going to be a striker. Daniel Jackson uh, hasn't been a striker for a while. And so I think that kind of affects that offensive chemistry. But it is great to see Mwape and Boateng uh, reading those runs well and getting those passes in. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the, the problem with Richmond, I think, all year was more consistency. You know, you saw flashes of brilliance all the time from them, and it just wasn't consistent enough for the, um, particularly when, you know, obviously in the beginning, they, they wanted to play a very possession style similar to a North Texas, but it just kind of didn't work given their competition. So as they switched, I think they, it took them some time then to kind of get into a groove and, and be able to understand yeah. what the new roles by it for everyone was. But you definitely saw flashes of brilliance down the stretch. It just obviously wasn't enough for them to to string together enough wins to yeah, and, get close to the playoffs. And better passing, not not all these, you know, not having Joe do all these one-on-ones and trying to take the whole defense on. You know, it's it's a lot more fluid. And I think, like you were saying, I think towards the end, you started seeing the offensive scheme that they would have hoped to have had towards the beginning. But it's a good sign for Richmond fans moving into next year, right? right? What you they get that do, chemistry going and then what, you go in the offseason, I think it's good. What they do have to find, though, is going to be a Braden Troyer replacement because one of the things down the stretch when they went on that four-game winning streak, when and, and actually it was a five-game unbeaten streak, they really needed to – one of the things that they did was they had Braden Troyer play in front of the back line as a, as a number six, as a holding midfielder, to yep. defensive mid. And they really are going to need a better defensive mid because I don't think Maxi Rodriguez is that guy. Um, you know, they tried that early in the season, and while he might be a good pivot, you know, trying to – a good passer of the ball, which he is – um, he's not that kind of defensive-minded player that you really need in that spot in a league like this. No. So, so they'll need to find someone to uh, to kind of mimic what uh, what Braden was doing the last uh, last ten games of the season or so. Yeah. All right. Now for the first game of the Saturday, it was early in the day because it was a college football game or something up in Lansing. Lansing hosting Forward Madison. If Lansing wins this game, they secure second place. If Madison wins this game, they secure a playoff berth. Both teams pressed early. For the Mm -hmm. first, like, 20 minutes of this game, it was so back and forth. I was like, someone is going to break through for sure. And then for the second 20 minutes or so, it kind of eased down. Like, neither team 
Like, I, I think everyone was, like, a little tired. Everyone's like, let's take a break. Look, look at it as, like, a horse race, right? You come out the gates, you're whipping, you're getting that thing running, and then you get to that, you know, a quarter mile, and you're like, all right, let me let me slow him down. He don't want to – we don't want to lose all the gas in the in the first half of the race. Let's go ahead and start pacing ourselves now. Yeah. So so one of the highlights from early on was in the seventh minute, there was a great cross by Tumi Moshabani. It was whipped in low and hard. Wyatt Olmsberg uh, nearly got an own goal off of it, and uh, it wound up going out for a corner, if, if memory serves. Um, Lansing probably had the better play early, uh, mm-hmm. uh, at least in at least I think so. Um, and in the uh, so, but I think one of the things that that kind of changed was in the fifteenth minute. They, um, uh, Bement what had to come in for Tenorio for Danny mm-hmm. Tenorio, and I think that changed things yeah. uh, in the field a bit. Uh, sh- should we talk a little bit about that? Because you know, Fricky tackled. Uh, it was a very hard tackle. It looked like uh, Bement might have had. Uh, excuse me, Tenorio might have had a knee injury. He had missed yeah. a bunch of the season earlier. Been playing well the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, but, but but I think that changed forwards mindset a little bit. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Jason? A- absolutely. And so when you have Tenorio. On the field, they use him pretty much as up top, right? That's their their go-to striker. And Bemmett coming in, Bemmett's actually better passing. He's better holding the ball up. He's a bigger body. And so it changes the way that Ford's offense attack is. And because Ford has these players in Paulo Jr., Don Smart, J.C. Banks, they're able to switch players around and say, okay, well, now that we're not going to have a single striker up top, we're going to go ahead. We're going to have Bemmett come in and be in the center, but be more of that pivot that can hold the ball, that can pass well. And you can see in the attacks that Ford have after that, and I think even in their goal, Bemmett was the one who is the one that passed the ball to have that MLS assist. So I think that changed it. Uh, obviously, unfortunate for Tenario and unfortunate for Ford because he was playing so well. But it kind of helped their offense against Lansing, and I think it was a good offensive scheme after that. To, to your point about the passing and the switching, in the 26th minute, watching the 26th minute because Ford had a few chances. There was a lot of quick one-and-two one, one and two touch passing back and forth between Don Smart, Paolo Jr., Bemmett was in there, um, and they they switched the ball from side to side and really unbalanced the the Lansing defense. And you know Lansing likes to press; they don't really like to bunker. But in that particular situation, um, you had a significant, uh, you know, a couple of significant chances for uh, for forward. Um, you know, at and, that point, yeah, go ahead. And just so, and we talk about you know making that sub early, and I think that's when Ford slowed down after that injury, right? It was like twenty minutes back and forth, and then that injury was kind of the point to where it slowed down a little bit but props to coach short for that because you we had talked about just last week about how oliver white can kind of plug right into that tenario role and be that up top striker and instead of him just doing that and keeping the same strategy he said no i'm gonna put bemmett in i'm gonna change this i don't know if it's something that bemmett does in practice that he likes you know more or he just thought you know what instead of having someone up top that's a designated person let's go ahead and spread it wide let's get all these guys to give these uh give and goes and fast touches and yeah so the props to short for making that sub right because he had to make an early sub and it's an important one and so i think he chose the right one and a lot on the line too yeah um so luckily for them so uh, so after the from the 26th minute to the 40th minute the uh the match ebbed and flowed a bit there was a lot and it was a very pitchy pitch battle in the midfield to see who would you know who would be able to kind of press in the midfield and and win the ball to get in some good chances both sides had a few chances nothing nothing that dangerous during that period of time um but in the 43rd minute eric leonard 
ends up winning the ball inside a, the Madison defensive half near the near the left touch line. Forward then has uh, a few one and two touch passes, and the ball gets played into the feet of Paolo Jr., who makes not a half turn but a quarter turn, and then hits a perfect through ball to an overlapping Carter Manley on the right hand side, uh, who makes a great one time cross to the far post that finds Don Smart. Now, how hard is it to collect a forty yard pass with a single touch that just dribbles down to someone's feet? as Don Smart just did, and then J.C. Banks is running and had made a full sprint from midfield into the box, a good 55, 60 yards, and just, you know, touches it from the penalty spot, um, and, and J.C. Banks finishes uh, under Cleveland. I mean, it was it was a very, very pretty counterattack. Yeah. Five people involved, uh, about six passes, and, uh, you know, J.C. Banks kind of in the mix there, there too. So, you know, not, not the, you know, Anyway, we'll but, talk about the celebration in a but, second, but let's talk a little bit more about this goal because it was yeah. a very well-worked goal. Listen, and we talked about Don Smart. Eric Leonard gets the ball. Don Smart then gets it. Three Lansing players are surrounded Don Smart, right? And his back, he's actually facing his own goal at this point, and he somehow gets out of that press and is able to get the ball out. And when he gets the ball out, instead of him staying central or jogging, he hits that sprint. And had it not been for Don Smart making that run after getting out of that, he's not there to collect that cross that he then sends into J.C. Banks. And so props to Don for not only getting out of that, and I think he's fouled while he was getting out of that as well, but finishing the play, making that 70-yard sprint downfield to where he's able to collect that cross and then assist it to J.C. Banks. And then like we were talking about earlier, so when he does get out of it, he passes it. Bemmett's the one that gets it in the middle, and he's got Oh, it was, two- was Bemmett? I thought it was... Uh- uh, was it Bennett? Okay, yeah, I, 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 I believe you. I, I thought it was Paolo Jr., but maybe it was Bennett. I thought yeah. it was Ben. I thought so. I thought it was Bennett who gets it and then puts it to Manley and Manley, Manley. crosses okay. it. It might have been it might have been Paolo, but I thought it was Bennett. But whoever it was, props to them because they fought off Serta and Gomez, who for the whole year have been probably the most dominant duo in the midfield when it comes to winning those duels, when it comes to intercepting, winning tackles, not allowing people to go through them. And they went, you know, literally bouncing off of the challenges from these shoulder to shoulders, kept the ball on their feet and then got it wide to Manley, who was then able to give the cross. So, you know, props to I, I don't know if it was Bennett or I don't know if it was Paulo Jr., but whoever it was, props to them, because yeah, that's where that play can end. Right. If he goes down. The, you know, it's a free, the yeah, ref, it's a free kick. Ref, not, calls it a free not kick. Really dangerous position. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. So props yeah, to him. For sure. Um, so JC Banks runs to the corner flag because this was the same place he had <laughs> scored before in Lansing and he had wiped his head on the corner flag before with uh, in the 90th minute and Lansing came and that was a tying goal in that game and Lansing came back to win it after he did the head wipe decides not to jinx it. And yeah. doesn't do the head wipe. <laughs> I respect it. Instead, does a does a flip, you know. And I'm always a fan of that. I'm also always afraid because I've watched players do a flip and then immediately uh. pull a muscle and have to be taken out. But when you score a pretty goal like that, and that was probably one of the prettiest goals I've seen Ford score, like the passing in since their U.S. Open Cup game. Um, I just thought it was it was incredible. So yeah, go ahead and do all the flips you want, JC. <laughs> Uh, in the 58th minute, JC Banks was taken down by Fricky in the box. Um, 
you know, again, J.C. Banks getting up into the attack. You know, when I had talked to him on this show, one of the things that Banks always said was that he saw himself more as a number eight and coming back and doing a lot of defense. But he keeps on popping up in the box. Uh, and this well, is another and credit to him, though, he gets the ball in between that midfield and box, right? And usually he does a great job at holding it up and getting it to the side, whether it's Don Smart or Manley or Paulo Jr. And then he goes and he hits that box hard. And uh, you saw that with the goal and you saw that, you know, even if he didn't collect the ball beforehand, but he likes to hit that box. And so, but props to him because he is the player that can come and receive the ball and kind of be the one to draw on defenders to allow the wides to uh, get open. That's right. So for that uh, denial of the goal scoring opportunity, Fricky gets a yellow card, uh, so not to be in double jeopardy. And uh, and Don Smart steps up to take the penalty kick, and Cleveland gets his correctly, and Don Smart's shot was just not hard enough to get yeah. under Cleveland. Kind of surprising. It was a little lazy. And Don Smart's been a designated PK taker for pretty much every team he's played on for the past 10 years. So yeah. it, was, it, was very, little... it, it was very well placed, but I think Cleveland, obviously, you know, guessing right and leaving early was yeah. was key to, to, to that save. Yeah. So, I mean, props to him too, right? It's guessing right, leaving early, and getting down. So, obviously, the shot could have been harder, but you still, as a keeper, have to get those three things correct, and he did. So, uh, so an 85th minute, Rafa Mensigan could have had one. Um, you know, was kind of the the one Lansing highlight that was on on the highlight tape. But you know, as I as I was watching it, Lansing had a few chances, but I felt like they didn't really go for it, right? They no. didn't. And well, it's also so when you go back and you look at early in the game, I wish Rafa was a little more selfish. I think he had two great chances to where he could have just took the shot himself, but then went for the pass that would have been the easier shot to Tumi and Pato, but. We've seen Rafa hit those rockets. Just take that shot, especially if you're in the box, right, and you're one-on-one with the keeper. Take that. Um, And I think Lansing never really got to play that attacking style that they normally play in jail well. There wasn't a lot of passing. There was, You know, it wasn't a lot of forward passing and give and goes. It was just more so playing the game. They just didn't look like themselves. So here's, in my opinion, here's how forward won this game. They know that Lansing likes to press. Teams that like to press need the other team to have the ball. Forward gave Lansing the ball. That's why okay. Lansing had 68% possession. So even though it's a trash stat, that's not why it's trash here. Because in this instance, this just tells you what forward's goal in this game was. And this is how you have to beat Lansing. Give Lansing the ball. Because Lansing is not as good as build-up play as they are winning in a press and then counterattacking quickly. Um, you know, they had not, just for example, in this match, Lansing only had nine shots on, uh, nine shots total, one on target, single shot on target. And that was in the 85th minute. That's how, and they had 68% possession by the 85th minute. They had that much possession. They didn't get that possession after the 85th minute, <laughs> for sure. It doesn't, the math doesn't work. Um, you know, they had 557 passes, and forward was very happy just to, you know, just to try and win on the break and give and give Lansing the ball because that's not Lance, how Lansing plays. And this is how, this is how you beat. This is how you beat Liverpool, right? This is how you beat teams that that high press. This is how Atlanta beat uh, beat 
beat the Red Bulls last year. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. It's just, yeah, I know you're wearing your MLS Cup shirt, and I'm wearing my, uh, <laughs> I'm wearing my Red Bulls uh, shirt today. Um, all, all good. I, I, I mean, as long as we support a Red Bulls Cup shirt, matter. so yeah, so it uh, right. yeah. Well, Red I have three support. Shirt. I have three supporter shields shirts. Uh, no. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so so this so the, so this look tactically at this game just as what forward wanted to do. I mean, forward knew that this was going to happen, and it was a great game plan because it clearly worked, right? Because yeah. you only needed one goal. Um, but but even at that, uh, there was definitely were definitely other opportunities for forward to score. Forward had seven shots on target. Yeah. Um, so and nine of Lansing shots were from outside the box. So you know again like. Um, uh, you know, low quality chances. So, and I think also Ford did a great job disrupting the flow of Lansing. So, I know they had I think 17 fouls. I know they had more fouls in Lansing. So I think it was 17 fouls. Uh, was Don Smart and Nunez were both in a ton of duels. Don Smart won a lot more than Nunez did, but Nunez fouled five times. I think Don Smart fouled three times. It was one of those things to where. Anytime Lansing looked like they were going to get a little bit of space and be able to to break, you know, Ford said, yeah, you know what, we'll take a foul here. We'll take a foul here. And it was just enough, right? They got five yellow cards. Obviously, the yellow cards don't carry over, so it doesn't matter. Um, I think I brought up the Nick Moon one earlier. So it's just one of those things to where I think, um, you know, the Ford did a great job, like you said, with their game plan of not allowing Lansing to really break you know, not allowing them to pick up that speed and momentum. It was like you said, having to build up. And then I think because of that, you have players like Toomey, who, you know, three games before it had four goals, 12 shots, you know, 79 accurate passes. This game, he only created one chance, had two shots and 18 passes. So it's one of those things to where it's hard for him to get involved. And he's important for that offense because the runs he makes because of his goal scoring ability. So yeah, props, like I said, I think, uh, when we when we talk about the playoff preview, we'll talk about it. But coaching's important. I think Coach Shore got it right. I agree in this game. Uh, now he has to go down to North Texas and figure mm-hmm. out how to make it work down yeah. there. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> so South Georgia Tormenta then had to play the Greenville Triumph. Now for Greenville, everything was on the line because if they had lost this game, they would stay in third place. But if they won this game, they would have they would have jumped. Lansing Ignite into second place and gotten a home playoff match this coming weekend. I was going to buy you pizza. I was going to buy buy the supporters pizza, man. Y'all blew it. It's easy for me to say that now that I don't have to, but you know. (laughs) So do you know the last time that Tormenta won? Oh, God. Uh, The Truman era? (laughs) It was the end of July. Okay. So this was their first first win in two months because they dropped the three spot on Greenville who only scored one. Greenville did get on the board early in the 18th minute. We'll yeah. talk a little bit about the goal later but then Jad Arslan comes up big uh, comes up big a couple of times and you know one of them was kind of lucky but one of them was a really good goal and uh, and then you know Connor Antley of course you know because he's the best right back in <laughs> making, the league. Making a striker run <laughs> like timing <laughs> long balls with defenders. I don't I don't even know what position that man plays anymore. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was a great run. Yeah, I, I 
I mean, I know what position he starts in. He definitely yeah, doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fine. He starts wherever he – yeah, he could start at a right back, but he's not there. He's not staying there. Yeah. So this game didn't mean much for South Georgia, and I, I feel like Greenville was, like, playing scared. Like, you know, they wanted it so bad that – especially after the goal. So, well, let, let's let's talk a little bit about this because I have very – I have copious notes. I'm going to okay. show you. I have copious notes on this match. <laughs> I have two pages. Nice. Two pages and nice. Those. I'm gonna buy you a uh, laptop or an iPad or something because. I, you, well, do you want to know what? When I watch the games on TV, I just find it easier to handwrite the notes okay. instead of typing. So, because otherwise I would. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm old school, you know. I'm, I'm <laughs> nearly half a century old. It's hard to you know Love. hard for me to learn new tricks here. Although I learned how to podcast somehow, so figure that out. Uh, in the 18th minute. Carlos Gomez scores. It, there was a scrum on the left touch line. Saul, you know, so someone I didn't see who it was. I don't know if you if you knew who it was, uh, Jason. But someone like makes this nice little chipped ball, and that uh, that Cameron Saul ends up with uh, on the le- right near the left touch line. He isn't tackled by anyone, even though there's two South Georgia Tormenta players within touching distance of him, um, and he winds up getting making a getting a nice through ball to Gomez. And uh, he finishes left-footed. But the MLS assist, whoever that was on yeah. on, the, on the left side, I'm not really. I can't tell who it is. I know. That. I know they have blonde hair, so yeah. that narrows it down to a couple people. But yeah, it was. Yeah. I know exactly. What I you're watched talking it. About. I watched it four or five times, actually in real time. You know, I kept and, on using the. And using it was the- funny because that you watched that he was dueling with somebody. I think it was Micheletto or somebody for the ball, and yeah, it was he wins. It. Yeah, and does that flip? So. I'm gonna give it to Klaus, but I'm not sure if yeah. that's who. Yeah, it, it, was. it could, it could, it could definitely be Klaus. Yeah. But it, but that little chip for the MLS assist that really made this because yep. Cameron Saul winds up in space, and then by the time he's closed down, no one tackles him, which is also just bad defending, quite frankly, on South Georgia's uh, on South Georgia's part. Um, and he gets the ball through to, to Gomez, who finishes it left footed and uh, to the far post, and just a nice a, a nice finish from Carlos Gomez. I, I think we... it's that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna say that at that point, it seemed like you know Greenville almost got a little cocky. Yeah, well, and and I think Tormenta, like you said, came out more aggressive. And ten minutes before that, I think it was Nutson had this incredible through ball that went about 40, 50 yards, and then the cross came in to Charlie Dennis, who back heels it to Morell. And then it was it would have been the goal of the week, in my opinion, had it went in. But Dallas Jay makes this incredible diving save, just times it perfectly, gets a hand out there. Like I said, probably one of only two keepers in the league who makes that save. And I thought after that and then after the Greenville goal that the momentum has swung. Right. And Greenville was just like, that's when you get into that kill mode and you're like, we need to go three up right now. We need to end this game before the half even happens. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. Well, one thing that that happened after the goal, and I again, it was hard to see from the broadcast because you couldn't see the full field just because of the camera angle. But what Tormenta was definitely trying to do was just long long balls that switch the field from one channel to the other channel. And they did this a few times up until the twenty fifth minute. Um, and it, it was like the Greenville defense wound up being very disheveled because I think maybe because they got stretched by all these yep. long balls. And then um and then in the twenty sixth minute, um like the ball ended up going into the box. It was just a high floated ball. Uh, into the box and um, 
and Dallas J just needed to collect it. He just he you know he got a little bit nudged by a uh, uh, got a little bit nudged by a tormenta uh, player, but not I enough. Even, I wouldn't even mention that because yeah, it shouldn't have, it wasn't anything. It was literally somebody tapping you on the shoulder to let you know you dropped something. It wasn't yeah. It was yeah you know, exactly. For, it, yeah, it, I mean, it was I yeah mean, like you said. It was just a it was a drop. Yeah, so Dallas J drops the ball. It winds up at the foot of Jad Arslan, who then you know just. Uh, you know, just taps it home uh, with his uh, with his left foot. So, um, you know, this is Jad Arslan's fifth year playing for Tormenta. He's played for Tormenta longer than anyone. He's a Tormenta original. He played with them in uh, in uh, what's now USL League Two uh, for four years before making the jump to this team. So, you know, and he's really you know gotten more playing time, and I think that that shows a little bit because yeah. his his chemistry and his runs just are a little bit better. He played a little bit of uh, right and left back earlier in the season, and now he's playing farther up the field. And I think this might be a better position for him. Yep, uh, I agree. And was very aggressive, taking people one on one. I thought he played an extreme phenomenal game but I like that you brought up the long balls and switching sides because Tormenta had 45 accurate long balls which was you know wow. 60 yeah which is a 60 cent I mean well, even more wow is they had 79 of them so they 60%, 60% completing their long balls which is great so yeah I think you're absolutely yeah. right you nailed it on the head with that I think they had that game plan that said we're not going to allow Greenville to build up because when you look at how Greenville was scoring a lot of it was those build-up plays a lot of it was getting the ball into the box to Saul who then either held it up or brought it back to Carlos Gomez or, or um yeah and so yeah, yeah I think that Tormenta did a great job at that game plan so what that meant was Greenville had to come out of their defensive shell because they were had a very narrow defensive shell, which allowed uh, Tormenta to play into those channels. But they had to come out of it, and they had to yep. attack because they knew what was on the line, right? Second place was on the line. They couldn't come in worse than third. So they're, yep. you know, so um, so losing wasn't. It wasn't going to be terrible, but they had to win in order to jump Lansing. Yep. So uh, they came out of their shell, which left a lot of counterattacking opportunities. In the 30th minute, there was another Dallas J drop. At that time, he was actually backed into by two players. And, yeah. and uh, so there was a disallowed goal. In the 33rd minute, Micheletto got a yellow card for descent. After he was, It was such so dumb. He gets tackled. The player who tackled him gets a yellow. And Micheletto's complaining, what, that he should have gotten a red? Like, that, that it was a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity? Like, it wasn't even close. There were two other defenders back. Like, Listen, man, it's been a long season, all right? <laughs> so anyway, so that's how that's how he topped. That's why he is, like, the farthest back in our sin bin, because that was his ninth yellow of the season. <laughs> and lead, lead uh, was the league leader in yellow cards, so... Uh, so anyway, silly on Micheletto's part. Uh, in the 40th minute, however, you know, after this, like I said, Greenville was pressing. They were trying to get forward. Um, you know, they had they, they they didn't outshoot at all, but they they had a problem getting the ball into very dangerous positions. And they actually, in, at the end of the day, uh, Greenville only had two shots on target, and one was obviously the goal. Um, so, but but in the 40th minute, Jad Arslan, uh, Jad Arslan doubles uh, or gets the lead, I should say, for South Shore to Tormenta. So Greenville nearly scores. So so this ball started, this whole play started in um, in the south in front of the South Georgia Tormenta goal. Uh, but South Georgia Tormenta gets the ball downfield in transition very quickly, created by a very long direct overball to Charlie Dennis. Uh, who tried to shoot, but he had three Greenville defenders in front of him. Actually, I don't know why he was bothered shooting. 
there were there was a wall in front of wow, him basically. But he did, and you know, four yards away is Jad Orslin who finds the ball in his foot again. <laughs> I think he was again shocked, like, hey, the ball's at my feet. And uh, you know, the, the ball so he shoots and the ball does hit J- Dallas J um and uh, like under his armpit and it stops right over the line. Like it's actually like it's almost insulting the way that the ball rolls yeah. into the goal. Yeah. It's it's the the ball pretty much caught uh, a one on one sixty yard bomb and uh, the cornerback is on the ground and the ball turned around and backed into the end zone instead of just <laughs> running through pretty much. Yeah. And so anyway, it was very insulting. Um, you know, there might have been a VAR like like this would have been one of those situations where if there was VAR, you could definitely tell if it was over the line or not yeah. because the ball had stopped moving for a good second and a half before someone yeah. tried to clear it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that that was interesting. Um, second half. You know, should we talk about the second half? Like Greenville, like Greenville didn't panic, but you know they they did they were pushing the fullbacks up. And they still couldn't find couldn't find an answer to South Georgia's defense. What did South Georgia do something differently? Because in the in the past few weeks, you know, the past eight weeks basically, they let in so many goals. Uh, it being you know with a team like Greenville attacking them, and this time they didn't. Did Greenville do so, did South Georgia do something right, or did I, Greenville just do something wrong? I think that the battle was one in the midfield for Tormenta. I think what it was was where Greenville was getting the ball. We were talking about how Lansing doesn't really like to build up. I don't think Greenville does either. And Greenville kind of lives off of these interceptions and these duels and these tackles won, and it wasn't there, right? Greenville had only four interceptions the whole game, which is something that I think Tyler does on an average of every game by himself. So that's a wild stat. And then just to let you know the difference Tormenta had three interceptions in Greenville's half, right? So it's just, it's one of those things to where Tormenta was winning the ball more. They were winning it in better positions. Um, Connor Antley had four interceptions himself. So he had just as much as Greenville as a whole team. And so when that happens, it's a lot harder for you to create chances, it's a lot harder for you to build up because you're using more time, you're using more field, you're not able to really break open, right? Because Tormenta is now able to kind of bunker and get into their defensive shape. And so, yeah, I think that Tormenta winning all those tackles and duels in the midfield and getting those interceptions, it threw Greenville off. I don't think they got to play the style that they were used to playing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, there was was one more goal and another disallowed goal in this game. By the 80th minute, Greenville was just throwing everything in the kitchen sink forward. And uh, and, and interestingly, South Georgia did not need Connor Antley on the back line because he made this great, crazy run. Why Why is he lined up as a strike? I don't know what's going on <laughs> I, anymore. I, well, I think he was pl- I think he was playing wide receiver in this one, uh, right? Um, because he makes this he makes this hail mary, you know, run where Carlos. Gomez just you know threw it with his arm no he kicked it <laughs> this like 70 yard long diagonal very direct overball that Connor Antley you know takes a touch and then finishes uh it, it was it, you know again it was his channels now granted it, at this point you know Greenville did have almost everyone pushed forward so um so there was plenty of space for Connor Antley but the fact the fact that it wasn't on him though like it yeah. was I think they just time like he just timed the run absolutely beautiful oh yeah it was it, like I said. It was like a hail mary kind of kind of play. Um, in the 87th minute, though, we you know Chris Bermudez did think that he had uh, gotten uh, gotten Greenville within one. Uh, the ball 
so he gets Bermudez gets the ball after a low driven cross, uh, but he's called offside. You know, it's again, it's hard to tell because we don't have the better angles. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure when he started his run compared to when the ball was passed, he was onside. That's what so a lot was, of fans that were there yeah. were saying. I think that, he was. Uh, I think he was hard done. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it would have mattered anyway because ultimately, I think South Georgia yeah, probably still would have won three to two. But have Ricardo Montana Gomez over there throwing uh, <laughs> sixty yard dimes. <laughs> oh, geez, did I call him Carlos Gomez? Yeah, it's all right. I mean, okay. listen. We, I call, first and foremost, let's. I gotta give you props because I think we've gone about four or five shows to where we, you know you've got names pretty much perfectly. So props, uh, like, well, listen, there's so many go. There's so many Gomez's. There's you're, five Gomez's in yeah, the who start in teams. You're in streaking league, like so. Ford Madison. You're streaking at the right time going into the playoffs, <laughs> Ira. You're doing. You're doing All the right. thing. Well, uh, Ross Devonport, I'm really sorry <laughs> that I messed up. Uh, which Gomez <laughs> plays on? <laughs> plays in South Georgia. So my apologies. I just put Gomez. So. Uh, I didn't think who. So week twenty-eight team of the week. Shall we go to that? Unless you have something else on the uh, on on the Greenville match, which got them not to come in second place. I know you said that, that Tormenta probably didn't care. Uh, it's always good to end the season with a win like that at home in front of your crowd and against a team that you know might be a rival, might not be, depending on who you I ask. Said they didn't care. I just said uh, it didn't matter. It, okay. <laughs> Well, um, I think, and like you said, they haven't won, you know, since, since Kennedy. So it was good that they were <laughs> able to really end the season on that note, you know, to, to, even though they fell from second, one of those things to where, okay, we can, we can end the season with some pride and not leave with our heads down. Yeah. Fair enough to a playoff team as well. That, yep. that was playing for something. So yeah. I think, I think they could take some pride in that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so team of the week for team for week 28, uh, Jordan Perusa was named the player of the week. Uh, he played two matches uh, during the season that during the week, got a couple of goals, almost tied for the golden boot lead, uh, but didn't uh, for forward Madison, Don Smart, JC Banks and Diaz uh, all made team of the week for South Georgia, uh, Arslan, Charlie Dennis and Connor Antley uh, make it on the team of the week. Uh, Shinovsky and Mwape for Richmond, uh, Mangles for Chattanooga, and uh, Romero for uh, North Texas. Anything else? Anyone who should have been on here besides maybe Braden Troyer? Yeah, no, it would have been nice to see Braden on there. But if uh, I think this is a solid list. I think if anything, you know, you don't want to put too many Tormenta players, but. Uh, I think Marco played a really great game, too, had four chances, uh, was fouled five times, uh, was really just disrupting Greenville, um, and he was on that thing spray. He only had four unsuccessful passes the whole game, so, uh, yeah, he could have been someone that could have been on there, too. I didn't realize he was that clinical, yeah. Yep. Interesting stuff. All right. Well, when we come back after this word from our sponsor, we'll preview the semifinals for the inaugural season of USL League One. Stay with us. Our sponsor, my AA guys here. Hold on. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. 
Welcome back. We'll see you at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, we hope. If not, then uh, you're going to be missing something special. Jason, let's review the semifinals. Let's do it. So firstly, I'd like to say that we did get a question from Ryan Rose at, uh, at Hoops Radio on Twitter, and he asked, what are the keys to success for each team on the weekend? Any specific non-obvious matchups we'll have to keep our eyes on. So as we do this, let's think about those kind of things. And if you haven't made notes, I have copious notes already written. Uh, also, I will note that uh, I have on BGN.FM at BG or USLnews.com, I did write a preview of looking at the tactics that each of these teams may have to use in order to beat their rivals. Um, so take a look at that on BGN Written. Also, there's a lot of content on USLLeague1.com as well. Look for Jason's uh, stuff on there. Uh, wrote an article last week, and I understand you have a few things in the works as well this week too. Yeah, got a, got a couple out there, so you can you can look out and uh, complain about it like you kids always do. <laughs> so, firstly, b- before we get into the individual matches, let me say that forward is by far in the best form going into the well, playoffs. First, first, before we actually get into these matches and these teams, what is with the schedule? Why are we playing a game at 7 o'clock Eastern time and then 8 o'clock Eastern time? We've got all day Saturday. Why am I not able to watch each game? Yeah, Why it would, make it would be that? nice. Or, or just have, yeah, just have one start at, yeah. you know, one start at 6 and yeah, one start at 8. Lansing something is like not that. 90 degrees right now. It is barely getting <laughs> 55 degrees over there. You could play that game probably at 4 o'clock when it's the hottest part of the day, at hottest time of the day, and it would be better for everybody. Yeah, I'm sure it had some – it definitely didn't have anything to do with TV, I don't think, because uh, are either of these teams have local TV rights? I don't think so. I mean, so. I think Richmond's the only one that I, I think that does at the moment. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean – you know, it would have been nice if if maybe the the stadiums would have you know made sense to do it at six and eight or something. Yeah, not, nothing's going on at in in uh, Dallas, Frisco. Like I don't understand what the deal is. That yeah, we had to have these happening, you know, intersecting with each other. I don't like yeah. that. I don't know. I guess they just wanted a seven o'clock local kickoff. I, I I don't know. But anyway, forward is by far in the best form going into the playoffs. They're undefeated in the last six matches. They have three wins and three draws. Their last loss was to Greenville on August the 28th. So more than a month ago uh, was their last loss, and that was to Greenville. Uh, So shall we go to the first game that starts an hour before the other one? Yeah, six o'clock in Lansing, prime time <laughs> apparently. Uh, it's seven o'clock in Lansing. Seven o'clock Eastern, but East, seven o'clock it, Eastern time. Lansing's, Central, Lansing's right? in Eastern time. Yeah. Oh, is it Eastern? I yeah. don't know. Apparently, Atlanta is more west than Ohio. I don't. I don't know how math <laughs> works. I don't understand at all. We've had this discussion before. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, luckily, I'm a little bit of a geographist. So. Um, so Lansing is hosting the Greenville Triumph 7 p.m. kickoff. Lansing at home this season is 8-2-4, and four. Uh, so only two losses at home. Their key is going to be probably to press as a unit and not get countered on. Greenville away is 5-5-4. Five, five and four. So, you know, obviously, you know, like in most leagues, the home team generally has the advantage, which is why you want that home field. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. the key for Greenville, I think, just just, you know, high level is not to lose their defensive shape, because when you saw that against Tormenta, you know, they obviously got a goal scored against them and then they had to come out of that shape. So discipline, I think, will be very key. And and I think the question for Greenville is who's going to be their 
their scoring threat without Jay Keegan there, right? So you, you've seen last couple of weeks they they scored ten goals in three games, and then the last two games they only were only able to put one away. Yeah. So uh, you know who's gonna who's gonna go out and score? Jason, why don't you yes. give me your quick you know quick thoughts on this game yeah. from a tactical, a defensive, offensive standpoint? You know, pick pick a team maybe and and run with it. So it's funny that we were talking about long balls from Tormenta because I think one thing that Lansing, we always talk about their attack. I think a lot of people don't realize is how many goals they score from long balls, right? It starts as a long ball, a 40-yard, 50-yard ball from Koifik or Stoneman, and then somebody gets it on the side, you know, whether it's Nick Moon, and then they do the one-two touches and cross it in. That's going to be extremely important. Uh, for Greenville to defend. And Greenville has been really susceptible uh, susceptible to to aerial duels and set pieces in the back half of the year. And they allowed three times as many goals from headers in the back end of the year than they did the front end of the year. And so they're going to have a really important, and even when you watch that Lansing forward game from last week, you see that Lansing was winning a lot of the headers, right? There was a ton of flicks to where you would have somebody flicking it to Pato or someone flicking it to Rafa from the midfield, and Greenville has to win those. You don't want to get into a competition to where the long balls happen, you've got most of your defenders now on the wrong side of the field, and you're leaving your defenders one-on-one with Rafa and Toomey. That's not how Greenville wants to play this game. So I think that's going to be a really important piece to look at. And I think the other piece that look at, too, is what kind of shots are both of these teams getting? Because Greenville right now, they're shooting, but are they taking quality shots, right? They need to get into the box, whereas with Lansing, they can pretty much shoot from anywhere, but are obviously a lot more effective when they build up and cross it into the box. And I think with Greenville being a little iffy on winning those crosses and aerial duels, I think Lansing, if they can build up and get those crosses in, Greenville's going to have a little difficulty stopping that attack. So I, I think the one difference here so, – so I think two things. I think for Greenville is – Greenville has an opportunity to really exploit the left side of Lansing. So when you watch the Lansing attacks the last three or four matches, and they basically everything gets pivoted a little bit to the right. So most of the touches are in the center or, or right-hand side of the pitch for – uh, for, from the Lansing perspective, that leaves an entire the, the entire left side uh, open. So if Greenville can can win the ball there and make a big switch, and they can wind up getting someone um, you know someone in behind, they'll wind up having a one v one or what or two v one versus probably Grant Stoneman as kind of the left center back, and that's one of the keys for Lansing, and actually has been I think probably all season quietly is Grant Stoneman has been this defensive kind of uh, you know linchpin because with all of that space on uh, on Lansing's left side, Stoneman has to cover a lot of ground, and I think that's one reason when he was suspended earlier in the year uh, for for a game, they didn't look that good the next game, and I think it was because of Grant Stoneman not being in that field because he does something that very few other kind of center back kind of players can 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 play. So remember, Lansing plays a three five two. Um, they have a defensive midfielder who the last couple of weeks it's been uh, it's been Serta, but Kyle Carr's played there as well in the past. So it'll be interesting to see who lines up there. Um, you know, I think against Greenville, you know, they'll need that that 
the holding midfielder kind of to be more of a pivot and, and make sure that you don't need them as much as defensive cover, I think, against Greenville just because of the way they play, but need to get the ball forward. So, you know, take a look at that. Um, you know, one of the pieces of this question was, you know, not obvious, non-obvious matchups. Um, I, I don't know if there's any non-obvious matchups in this one because both of these teams, I think, match up pretty well, like like player for player, like talent level, I think is generally similar. I think if Jake Keegan was out there, it might be a little bit more because that's that's the one place that Greenville still has a problem. If Gomez if Gomez doesn't create a lot of chances like he did in in the prior weeks, uh, I'm not sure where Greenville's goals will come from. Where, where do you think Jason is? You know, you know, who is going to have to step up for Greenville outside of Gomez in order for Greenville to have a shot in this one? Well, you're talking about that space, right? And if there is space available, especially on the side, I think one player that has been kind of under the radar and has been improving week after week at taking that space and has been really important for Greenville's attack, and you can pretty much pivot or pinpoint to where when he's not creating chances or when he's not really involved, that's kind of when Greenville has kind of been a little... Um, hasn't been living up to the goals that they've been scoring, like you said, in those 10 goals in three games. And that's Muhammad. I think Muhammad has a great opportunity, him or Bermudez, if you know, if Coach Hart decides to start him. Uh, they both have opportunities, depending on who lines up on that side, to really exploit that team and to really take that space and allow for people like Walker and Klaus and those midfielders to move up and get into the box and either set up through balls for Saul or, or take that shot from the top of the box. Right. And then for Lansing, obviously, like we know where their goals come from, right? Their goals mm-hmm. wind up coming from, you know, you know, mo, you know, really Moshebane obviously has scored, scored a bunch. Nick Moon creates a lot of chances, even if, you know, and obviously scores occasionally, but more importantly, he is that facilitator on the right hand side where a lot of the play goes through him, interestingly. Um, so, and, you know, Elma N4 up there as well. Like, I think if he has to be able to drive into the box and not get flustered by, you know, getting knocked over occasionally because, you know, you know, guys like Kevin Pollitz will knock you over if, if given the chance. (laughs) So I I think this is going to be a big Pato game. I think Pato is very good at making those runs. He's good in the air. And like I said, Greenville is a little iffy, right? I've watched, you know, them, give up goals from timed runs, whether they're from corners, whether they're from crosses, from open plays. And I think Pato has that ability to come up big for Lansing, time those runs with his roommate, um, and get a couple goals in there to where Greenville has to chase it. And Greenville doesn't want to chase this game. So do you think that Greenville does the forward Madison trick and basically just gives Lansing the ball and says to Lansing, hey, come at us? Yeah, they they probably should, right? I mean, yeah. like you, you I mean, cause that, but the issue about that too, is that you don't want to allow for them to get people like Nick moon up, right? You want to keep Nick moon as far back as possible. And I think that's a matchup too, that would be fun to, to look at who's actually going to move up more moon or Tyler Pollock for Greenville, because it's one of those things to where both of those guys are important offensively as much as they are defensively and so i think greenville needs tyler to move up more than lansing needs nick but if they're going to be sending in crosses i think nick is one of their better crossers and best passers so i think that's a match at the look for too so yeah so I, I think what they'll do and you actually see this like if you look at the heat maps for example of the last few games and also just just eyeballing it i think tyler Pollock will probably stay back 
And what that allows for is that allows Boland to go forward and uh, on the right-hand side. And I think in this game in particular, um, that that's likely to uh, that's likely to continue uh, be, because that allows that allows th- that that outside back on the right-hand side of Greenville to go one-on-one versus Stoneman. I think that's so. Look for I think it's whoever's up against Stoneman. So like you said, like it's Bermudez maybe, um, you know maybe Boland or or, um, or Muhammad, right? So um, I think those are that's going to be the probably the matchup that makes or breaks this game for certainly for from a Greenville perspective. So I can't give my predictions because you guys will find out later this week why. But Ivor, you want to you want to give a prediction? Uh, Just because they're home, I'm going to say that this is 2-1 to Lansing. Okay. And, uh, you know, I would not be surprised either way. I would not be surprised this went to extra time either. So like, my that's my hot take is I think both of these games are going the extra time. That would not surprise me one iota either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might be a hot take, but it's uh, you know Luke, lukewarm. You know, like you boiled a hot dog and now it's been <laughs> sitting there for about twenty minutes, still kind of hot, but not really. Take <laughs> that's that's good. Okay, anything else on this match before we preview the uh, the, the match between no, the number one and the number yeah, four no, seed? That's- Let's preview the match where I'm going to have to split screen because we don't want to schedule games hours <laughs> apart from each other. So at 8 o'clock, so at right after halftime, you'll be splitting your screen, <laughs> the first <laughs> one. So from 7.45 until 8 o'clock Eastern time, that's when you have to do your business and go get your snacks and everything because you'll be double, you know, double fisting soccer matches is North Texas SC versus Forward Madison. North Texas – 10 1 and 3 at home this season that single loss was to the greenville triumph like i noted earlier uh their key is not to get frustrated and flustered by the more experienced forward madison players uh and they need to make sure that they don't they keep their head in the game they don't lose their rhythm as as they Mm -hmm. pass and they do that metronome thing that they do to uh to try and and uh and and spread out the, the defenses that they're against Madison is five, five, and four, so the same as Greenville away this season. Um, their job has to be to press the kids. I mean, the way to beat North Texas is the way that uh, that that forward did it before, and that um, and that Lansing did it as well. It's press them because you're bigger. They're going to be maybe a little intimidated on occasion, but maybe not. You know, so I mean, that's the thing. Like North Texas has to kind of show their metal here. This is uh, this is where they have to go. But I think if Madison presses, especially if they press early, they get a goal. I think that means that North Texas is going to really be pressing for it, and uh, and Madison has to disrupt that rhythm that uh, that that North Texas has. Jason, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I also don't know who uh, North Texas is going to be rolling out and what kind of style they're going to be playing, right? Do you keep Jada in the back? I guess you kind of have to, right? You don't, I mean, he, he can't move in the midfield because the height advantage that Ford has and their ability to finish headers, you want to have a big body back there. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I would like to see Fort do kind of a similar game plan that they had against Lansing and kind of really disrupt that rhythm, you know, foul them a couple times, do what you have to do to disrupt the passing, not allow any buildup, uh, because that's when North Texas is playing their best. Not that they don't have individuals that can take the ball and go one-on-one with people and kind of create a chance out of nothing, but it's when you have those 
four quick passes that lead, you know, somehow got the ball down the field in 60 yards and now all of a sudden they're shooting at goal, that's when they're the scariest, right? So I think that Ford uh, has to win those midfield battles. I think Eric Leonard's going to be big. I think Nunez is going to be big. I think JC Banks you're going to see coming back a lot more, right? He's not going to be at the top with the Fords. I think he's going to be coming back, receiving the ball and kind of paying more attention to that midfield so that Arturo doesn't get space and so that that North Texas midfield doesn't get too much of a rhythm in there. I think that's going to be key what you said because like I mentioned before when we were talking about JC Banks, you know, he obviously scored this week and and you know, very important game winner against uh Lansing, but if he moves up and he plays in that kind of more advanced like almost as a number 10 instead of as a number 8 like he does sometimes, I think that will leave Madison very exposed and I think that that's going to be the key for Madison is how do you match up defensively against this very very strong attack of uh, of North Texas and at the same time have your front three or four really press and disrupt the uh, the passing lanes of North Texas and and that's how you're going to have to do it and North Texas I mean all they have to do is make sure they play their game and not get frustrated and it's going to be Madison's job to frustrate them I yep. think that's that's it so um, so so I think for forward it's really coordinated pressing so no when to hold back, hold some kind of defensive line and defensive shape. Um, you know, I, I don't think it would do Daryl Shore's team very much to, to maybe switch formations and play something like a, a 4-4-2 and just be really kind of defensive-minded. So stay in your 4-2-3-1, but, um, but maybe, you know, keep your, you know, keep Paolo back a little bit and keep your fullbacks a little bit farther back than you might have otherwise. Now, a question um, for you. If Tenario is still injured, do you still play that formation? And if so, who are you putting up top? Oh, so do you put BMAT or do you put Oliver White? You mean is yeah. that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, or do I, you I, even, or do you keep the formation right? I like, think, or do you switch it up and put two up top, or you you know how do you how do you go about it? Well, re- realistically, like the difference between a four two three one and a and a four four two is really just where you have your number ten, right? Is your number ten kind of up top as a second striker, or do they fall in a little bit behind? I think if you're going to press, it doesn't matter because you're going to wind up being very flat there anyway. Um, you know, because you're going to wind up wind up pivoting and probably having you know two or three players, uh, you know, pressing the ball and and trying to overwhelm one side of the of the field. Um, so I think it doesn't matter. So I guess whoever whoever coach really thinks can, you know, can kind of press better and maybe hold up the ball while while you're in transition. So maybe that maybe that's some from what we saw this week. Maybe that's it's Bennett. Yep. Yeah, I think Bennett. so. Yep. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to point out for Ford, I think their defensive backs on the side are going to be super important, especially. And I want to point him out because I think he's been lights out for the past you know we talk about Ford just been streaking and I think he's a big part of it I think that Christian Pato the duck Diaz has been absolutely incredible has been flying under the radar someone that's not getting the praise they deserve he is somebody, team of the week this week yeah I mean he's and, and I think he was team of the week maybe two weeks ago as well he's somebody that is able to Get the defensive interceptions. We talk about like he is very similar to Antley, right? Antley is someone who can get the interception and take that full head of steam and provide that first pass to really spark a counter or spark, you know, a team going on the break. And he's done that time and time again. And he's also very smart 
of when he makes that decision. He's not going for tackles that he loses and leaves the team exposed. And you can't have that against North Texas. If he goes in and tries to tackle a ball that's getting to Arturo and he misses or Donzo on the side and he misses, that's going to be Ford's downfall. But I think it's really important for him to make those smart decisions. And I have no kind of doubt that he will just because he's been playing so well lately. And I think if he's able to do that and really kind of block off that side and not allowed for North Texas to take advantage of it, that's going to allow for other players to move forward. And that's when you get those crosses in to kind of exploit North Texas with their marking. So often Arturo Rodriguez plays on the left side and Christian Diaz plays on the right side. So yep. that would be the matchup to look yep. out for. Now, is that an obvious matchup? Probably a little bit, but that's but that but I, is yeah. one of the key matchups for sure. Yeah, I just don't I just don't think that people have you know when we we look at Ford and we look at what they've done, he's been a huge part of it. And I think he's someone like I said, it's his his way of viewing the game and his IQ of when to actually take this interception, move forward, when to go for it. And like I said, if you're playing against Arturo and you have to make a decision, do I go for this tackle and try to stop this ball? You have to know whether or not to make that decision because if you do and you miss it's probably a 50% chance that North Texas is scoring that goal. So this match happens during the international break. Um, Haiti is playing in the Nations League. I'm, I haven't heard anything from the team or from the league about any international call-ups this window. Um, we're, we're sure that Ronaldo Damas is going to be I, – I was just Googling it myself. I, yeah. I can't find the Haitian roster. Um so at least not the official roster. So uh, I'm I'm thinking Ronaldo Damas should be there, and I would be pretty surprised if. Well, I've got news for you. Oh, Damas has it? been called up against the game for against Costa Rica. So he is on international duty. It appears that way. Okay. And then so, you've got so the. the so my guess news... is that we see Ricardo Pepe because well, I because think FC Dallas does not have a game this week. Yep. Because this is the international break, MLS is off, yep. um, and Pepe will not go to the U-17s until, uh, I want to say it's like two weeks from now. Yep. So I think maybe he would miss the finals, but this week I think he's going to be available. So yep. I would guess we'll see Ronaldo Pepe back in the lineup. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's to Ford's advantage a little bit. Obviously, Ricardo Pepe, one of the best strikers in the league, one of the best strikers, you know, period. But... He hasn't played for a while, hasn't built that chemistry, you know, that chemistry might have fallen apart a little bit. And also he's not as fast as Damas. And I think that's an important piece for Ford when, you know, Amsberg and, and Tobin, both of them are incredible in the air. Both of them are incredible with their positioning. But I think that's the one downfall they've had this year with their marking is when they have to face fast guys. And you even seen that against Orlando, right, where Connor Tobin is, you know, fouling people in the box and causing penalties. So, so I think because Pepe is there and he's not as fast, it's a little bit of an advantage for Ford. So do you think Coach Quill then puts um, puts maybe Romero back up top and then maybe keeps Pepe on the bench? I mean, that's that that's what they did this week, obviously. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's it, right. This is, this is what playoffs comes down to. I, my two factors in the playoffs, the two most important things are how are teams playing going into the playoffs and coaching. I think those are the two biggest factors that determine who wins the games. And so, yeah, I think whoever, you know, it's a, like you said, it's, it's a chess match, right? What, do you start Pepe? If you do, what kind of offensive style are you playing? If, 
Daryl Shore sees that they're starting Pepe. Does he change his defensive style to to accommodate that? Or if you see, you know, so yeah, it's it's tough to really determine how each team is going to play. When I said like in North Texas, you really don't know what lineup they're putting out. Yep. Yeah, which makes uh, definitely Daryl Shore's job just yeah. that much. I mean, more you put out you put out Danzo. That's not going to allow for Manly to go up much. Because he has, you don't want to have Manly by himself one on one against Danzo. Because as I've been yeah. saying, Danzo puts you on a mixtape cover. You don't, he'll just well, embarrass yeah. you. Well, it's kind of scary, right? Because you say Richard Danzo on the right, Arturo Rodriguez on the left. Yeah. And then it's a matter of, you know, okay, so who, who's in the middle? Like, it's if it's not going to be Damus, then it's got to be Pepe or, um, or or Romero, right? So it's almost it's almost like this North Texas team is pretty talented and pretty uh, good. Who would have thought? Yeah, <laughs> they only won the regular season, you know. Yeah, so like weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so the final schedules look like this: If North Texas were to get past Forward Madison, then on October the nineteenth at eight p.m. in Eastern Time in Frisco, Texas, they would host the match. If North Texas doesn't win and forward does and Lansing were to win. The game would be on Saturday, October 19th at 7 p.m. Now, if both forward Madison and the Greenville Triumph win, the game would be Friday night, October the 18th at 8 p.m. down in Greenville. I'm going to one of these games. Saturday's way easier for me to get to. (laughs) But that's not saying that I don't want Greenville to win. Um, but n- nonetheless, so that's that is the schedule. Um, you know, look on the USL League One website. You know, there is a disclaimer that all uh, that all times are subject to change. So just keep in mind. But but that is the tentative schedule that we've been presented with so far. Yes. Fan questions. We have any, Jason? I think we have at least one. We do. Uh, So we had a bunch of fan questions, but uh, for those who don't know, we're going to be doing a season recap show this week. And so a lot of those fan questions were about players who stood out, players who might be going, making the move to USL Championship or MLS. So we'll answer those uh, during the season recap show. So the one that we have this week, though, is which game are you more excited for and why? Ooh, um, I mean, they're both pretty exciting, right? They're both going to be super matchups. And I, I, for me, I think it's Lansing and Greenville. And I, I just I just like the matchup. I just think that, like, I think forward North Texas is intriguing, but I do think that North Texas is likely to win that game. I think that they're just, you know, they just have a lot of talent and have a lot of energy. They're at home. Um, they like being at home. So, so I do think that, that they'll pull that one out. But Lansing Greenville is, I mean, I think, you know, I give Lansing the edge, but at the same time, John Harks has really adjusted his team well most of the season. And like you said, I would not be surprised if this went into overtime and one of the teams, you know, hits a 118th minute winner or something like that. That would not surprise me one iota. So I, I, I think I like that one a little bit more. Yeah, I think I I agree with you for the Greenville Lansing game, uh, but it's also because I think that that game has more of a chance of opening up. I think Ford does a great job of even when they go down, they still keep their form, they still keep their plan. You know, they make adjustments, but I think um, 
that Greenville Lansing game. I think if Greenville goes down or Lansing goes down, both of those coaches are known to change their formation a ton and adjust, right? And those players adjust and they have players that can play multiple positions for this reason. So I think that might be one of those games to where if a team scores early, you can end up seeing a 3-2 game or it can be no team is scoring at all and it's 0-0 going into extra time and then we don't get a winner until possibly PK. So, but it has, I think, the higher ceiling of being a more open and more goal scoring game. So that's why I'm more excited for it. Fair enough. All right. Jason, where can people connect with you? You can connect with me at Home Sweet Soccer. I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter, and you can connect with the show at League One. That's League and the number one fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out BGN.FM for all the other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer. I'm just glad we have an actual sponsor, not my AA guy. I was missing some meetings. You scared me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>